welcome to the first podcast. I'm Rachel Fowler Keane. I've been working with spirit and energy now for well over 30 years. And I just thought I'd start a podcast so that people have access to information, to things that they may have experienced. I know that when things started happening for me, it was very much an unwanted and unexpected thing. My spiritual abilities didn't manifest really until the unexpected passing of my younger brother, Simon, in 1991. He was 16. I was 19 at that time. So I'll talk a little bit about me and Simon. Now, Simon had many challenges in his physical life. He had severe epilepsy, cerebellar ataxia, and a mental age of three. Now, this was all due to oxygen starvation during his birth. And I owe pretty much of all of what I do today to Simon and the... The lessons I learned from him, especially about living in the moment, he was so happy. He was a truly joyful human being. Despite all of his challenges, he was in his own little world and he was always happy. He had the biggest smile and the most beautiful roar of a laugh. It was absolute sunshine. Just the fact that he existed with us for the time we had him, it's a miracle. My mum, Jude, she explained to me how she was told that Simon only had a 50-50 chance that he would survive. This is while she was being rushed into theatre, where he was delivered by emergency caesarean. Nurses had discovered that his head was pulsating, but my mum wasn't told this. Six weeks after Simon's birth, she found out whilst reading her notes during a postnatal appointment. So during the operation, it became clear that Simon's umbilical cord was prolapsed and it was wrapped tightly around his neck. And this is what starved his brain of oxygen. And despite all of this, as far as the hospital were concerned, he was revived easily. My parents were told there was nothing to worry about. And he was allowed home with my mum after just 10 days. Now, I was three years old when Simon was born. And it wasn't until Simon was nine months old that any of us knew anything was wrong. He had a massive seizure in the middle of the night. And all I remember about that is my dad carrying me to the car in my pyjamas and the sense of panic from my parents as we rushed to the hospital. And again, my parents were told this is just a febrile convulsion due to Simon having a high temperature and he should be fine. But after that first seizure, my parents noticed that Simon would occasionally go blank as if in a trance. And this became more and more frequent. Doctors refused to believe there was anything wrong. But now we know these were petit mal um, epileptic seizures. And when Simon was three, he was finally diagnosed with epilepsy due to brain damage at birth, due to lack of oxygen. And Simon's seizures were a few months apart by now. But mum had noticed he was always very unsteady on his feet, even when he was well. So eventually when Simon was seven, he was diagnosed as having a second condition, which was cerebellar ataxia, which is a disorder of the nervous system, which causes unsteadiness and a lack of coordination. It's a progressive disorder and it can place unbearable stress upon the heart. It's very rare. The group Ataxia UK estimate that only a few thousand people are affected in this country, which is the UK. Walking can become increasingly difficult with this condition and it eventually becomes necessary to use a wheelchair. And there's currently, even today, still no cure for people with cerebellar ataxia. So as you can imagine, Simon needed 24-hour a day supervision and care. Mum and Dad never got to spend time together really, so we had babysitters provided by the Red Cross on rare occasions to give them a break. We're talking about the 1970s here. I didn't know my home life was different to any other children. I was happy. I had plenty of friends to play with and I had a magical plot of land full of trees, rabbits and chickens. 
Going out could be difficult sometimes. People would stare at us in shops and public places and make comments because Simon looked perfectly normal, but he was often in a buggy as he couldn't walk far. And he was often quite loud, much to our amusement. He was hilarious. His roaring laughter was something to behold and you couldn't help but join in with him. And despite all his challenges, like I say, he's an absolute joy. He was always full of smiles and laughter, a beautiful child inside and out. I mean, I know I'm biased being his older sister, but he had the face of an angel, big brown eyes, long lashes, um, and that smile that lit up a room. Once met, never forgotten. And his kisses and big bear hugs of affection were given to everyone who came to our house, whether they wanted them or not, they got them. He looked a lot younger than his years too. He was on a lot of medications for epilepsy, which unfortunately didn't control the seizures very well still. He would have one and that would trigger up to 35 in succession. With just seconds between one ending and another starting. We'd sit by his bedside and we'd wait them out with him, cooling them down with a fan. And his poor little body went through so much physical punishment. He was so groggy between seizures on those days, he just slept, barely regaining consciousness. He had no idea what was happening to him during or after the seizures. He had no understanding what a seizure was. And so a few days later, he'd bounce back and be his usual happy, contented self. And as far back as I can remember, I knew the drill when Simon had a seizure. It was just normality to me. I'd never known anything different. This was just how it was. Simon needed 24-hour care, as he could potentially have a seizure at any moment. I was under strict instruction not to get Simon overexcited when we played together as too much running around and laughing too much for too long. Even that could trigger a seizure. So we played hide and seek and I'd give him piggyback rides and swing him round and round until we were dizzy. My parents had to show me how to administer Valium to him when I was just 11 years old in case of emergencies. We had to keep a diary of the times and duration of all the seizures for the specialists at Guy's Hospital in London as Simon was a test case for new drugs due to the severity of his condition. And as he got older, the seizures would increase in severity. As he got older, the seizures would decrease in severity, number and duration. We just had to stay by his side and keep him safe while they happened. When Simon died unexpectedly in his sleep, we were completely devastated. The previous day was completely uneventful. He'd been his usual happy self, playing with his tape recorder, scoffing cottage pie for dinner and biscuits in the evening. I'd stayed up late finishing my college coursework that night. I was studying fashion and business at the time. I was two weeks away from completing the two-year full-time course. On my way to bed at about 2am, I looked in on him. He was quietly snoring away as usual. But less than three hours later, my father was waking me, telling me Simon was gone. I refused to believe him. And ran to see for myself. He just looked like he was sleeping. The post-mortem stated that there was evidence to show he'd had a seizure because there were pinprick hemorrhages on his brain and he'd bitten his tongue. And so they put it down to the epilepsy as cause of death. I was 19. This was my first experience of death. My little brother. I'd assumed up to now that when someone died, that's it. They were dead and gone forever. Worm food, basically. I had no spiritual beliefs about any afterlife and I was a sceptical person about psychics and mediums in general. So many people came to Simon's funeral to say goodbye, including teachers from his school, friends he'd known. he touched so many people during his life. A few weeks after Simon's death, strange things started to happen. I'd smell lilies when there were none in the house. 
I'd catch faint whiffs of the baby shampoo he washed his hair with. I saw fast-moving shadows on the periphery of my vision. I'd often feel like someone was stood beside me or behind me when I was alone in the house. I assumed it was all part of the grieving process and put it down to lack of sleep and round-the-clock crying. My senses playing tricks on me. More happened each day, but I tried to dismiss it all. I even went to the doctors to make sure that I was mentally sound <laughs> because I, I was genuinely disturbed by what I was seeing and feeling. A few months later, Simon made his presence really known. I was watching TV and I saw a shadow travel across the floor from the doorway to the hall. When I looked directly at it, I saw it was moving towards me. I kept blinking. I thought it was something in my eye, more imagination. Then I could smell Simon's shampoo and when I asked for a sign that it was him, I felt a cold hand on my hand. I couldn't work out how I knew, but I just felt it was his energy. I was a bit freaked out, to say the least, but I just knew it was him. And then in a moment he was gone again. I had to accept that there was an afterlife. I trusted what my own senses were telling me. That Simon had contacted me and I wanted to know more about where Simon could be and what was happening to him in this other place. But this was 1991. There was no internet and I had no clue what to do or where to go. So I pushed it away for a time. It was all too much. The following year, I found myself working with a kind lady who spoke about a spiritualist church that she was attending. And she suggested I go along to learn more. I was still sceptical about places such as these, but I went along anyway. Although their approach wasn't for me, I found it comforting to hear messages from the other side bringing comfort to other people. Sometime later, when a friend of mine asked me to go to a medium with her as the voice of reason, I agreed and I was ready to be the sceptical one expecting this medium to be a fraud. So when Rose, the medium, began reading my friend but kept being drawn to speaking with me instead, I felt a bit uncomfortable. She told me a few things I'd told no one. She stopped speaking at one point and told me I had a light across my eyes and that it was because I should develop my ability and that I would be a better medium than her one day. I was a bit rude actually, I just laughed it off. But she insisted she was right, and to prove it, asked that I hold her wedding ring, look into a candle flame and tell her what I saw and felt. So I did, expecting nothing to happen at all, and I don't to this day remember what I said. It's as if I went blank. But ten minutes later, she said I'd just told her things that she hadn't even told her husband about her life. Once again, I laughed it off as I was a bit unnerved by what had just happened. A real WTF moment. I began speaking to other mediums after that and reading the few psychic publications I could find, mostly pamphlets and newsletters back in those days. Publications were few in the early 90s and a lot of mediums weren't interested in passing on any development advice. But I persevered and I found the information I needed to enable my spiritual learning. And some of that information came from Rose, who was a brilliant teacher. A little later, the internet became an amazing source of information and put me in touch with other mediums who were happy to share development advice. I practiced and learned how to develop my mediumistic abilities. And I learned how to read tarot, auras, I worked with crystal healers, reiki healers, absorbing so much information. I found that as I learned and absorbed information from those who had more experience, I had lots of me too moments where what I was just learning mirrored experiences I'd already had. 
or beliefs I was beginning to just know and sense and feel on some intuitive level were right. And to discover that others were having the same experiences and knowings was such validation to me that I was meant to follow this path. I pursued all of this in my spare time. I was still doing day jobs and had gone from working in fashion to the travel industry to working as a housing officer for a London borough with homeless people. I kept it very quiet that I was a medium, only trusting a select few colleagues. My family were actually very supportive when I came out as a medium. I discovered that both my grandmothers showed clairvoyant streaks, so they never would admit it. I was very wary and I still am sceptical about a lot of things I hear and read. Just because I believe in my own experiences doesn't mean that I blindly believe in everything under the paranormal umbrella. I learned to trust myself and began keeping a journal to record thoughts, visions, meditation experiences and found a lot of things did come to pass or that my instincts were right further on in time about things that were happening. Simon popped in from time to time in my daily meditations and I was introduced to my first spirit guide. Now I have five. <laughs> when Simon or my guides came to me in meditation, I acquired new knowledge about who we all really are. I was amazed that Simon could speak eloquently with an intellect that surpassed mine, far surpassed mine. He showed me that he had a life plan that he'd written before coming here to experience the suffering that he experienced in this life intentionally to learn from it and told me that it was meant to be according to that life plan that he would go back home to spirit so young in our concept of time. That just seemed mind-blowing to me that we had that choice to do any of that as conscious beings. It took a while to get my head around that. And then I was shown over the years since that we each choose if, when and how our lives are lived on the earth plane here. And that Simon had chosen a life of physical and mental challenge because he wanted to know what it was to walk a mile in those shoes, to gain understanding, to help others. We all do this. No matter how hard the life we choose to live. It really helped me to come to terms with losing loved ones as time went on, just to know this. I know that we will all meet again one day. Simon also showed me that we all choose purpose and roles in the spirit world between lifetimes and that his mission in spirit at present is as a spiritual paramedic, as he called it, greeting and counselling those who cross back to spirit suddenly, just like he did and helping them to readjust to life on the other side. In 1999, I sustained a serious leg injury, which required two emergency surgeries to repair bones and soft tissues. I was unable to work for three months. I was on crutches for over a year, and it took me two years to walk properly again. Unable to get about in those first months at home after the surgery, I needed to do something productive. And it came to me, as we just got the internet, that I could build a website dedicated to Simon's memory and my psychic experiences since losing him. I started to write with the intention that I wanted to help other people that might be finding themselves in the same position and just like I did in the early days reading books by other mediums where I'd have those moments. I thought it might help to share my knowledge so far and what I was going to learn and share it with people who might find themselves in the same situations. Starting the website gave me a purpose. It gave me a distraction 
at a very low time for me, but little did I know it would grow into a purpose for the rest of my life as the emails I received and the readings that I used to give and mentoring that I give now helped people. Simon's visits aren't as frequent now, but every so often he pops in and I know he watches over me and sends help via my guides and other loved ones in spirit. I call them my spirit team. They all work together. For example, I knew he had a hand in bringing me and my husband together because I never would have been in the place we met in 1992 had Simon still been here. And I'm also sure that he sent someone to save my life in September 2000. I believe it was my very first encounter with an angel, even though I didn't believe in them yet. John, my husband, was driving us to work. It was a rainy morning when a car spun out of control across both lanes of the carriageway in front of us. There was another car between us and the spinning car. Our brakes locked, skidding across the wet road for what seemed like an age. Everything slowed down, although the whole thing lasted just seconds. I was stupidly not wearing my seatbelt, and I remember just closing my eyes and thinking, oh no, I had so much more to do. In those seconds I felt sure I was about to die. We slammed into the back of that car, still travelling at 45 miles per hour according to the smashed speedometer afterwards. John, being the wonderful man he is, threw his arm across me as far as he could when he realised we were going to crash. But I still flew out of my seat and suddenly felt another powerful arm holding me back on the passenger door side. It made no sense, but I know I felt that arm, as real as my own. I should have flown through the windscreen, and I did hit my head hard enough to break my nose, but I was saved. The car was a complete write-off. John was fine, no injury at all, but he had to kick his way out of the car door because the engine had been pushed so far back into the car. When we saw just how bad the damage was afterwards, the engine was obliterated, the car twisted. We both knew we'd been saved. To this day, I believe I was saved because it just wasn't my time to go. I've been told by my guides that angelic interventions happen all the time to prevent untimely deaths and yet that when it is your time to go, according to the plan you wrote before coming here, nothing can or will prevent your death. I took being saved as validation that I still had a lot to do and had to continue my work. I feel this intervention changed me even further. Soon after, I began to see angels with people and at roadsides and began to see other people's spirit guides during readings and often got prompted to draw them for people. I believe that my leg injury in 1999, then this accident, almost a year later, were the catalyst for me eventually becoming a full-time spiritual worker. I plucked up the courage to do my spiritual work full-time. My health was poor. I was under pressure from my employer and I just had a moment of clarity. Why was owning a house and clinging to material things so important? Would the world end if I let them go? After many talks with my husband, we agreed it was nonsense clinging to things that brought us no happiness. And we decided to sell up and move to the country so that I could do my work in peace and quiet and not have to worry about making ends meet. And so we sold or gave away a lot of our material things and we've never been happier. As good old synchronicity would have it, Rose, the medium who very first told me I had ability, came back into my life in 2005 when I provided a reading for a man who turned out to be a member of her paranormal investigation group. 
He had no idea that I knew of Rose. He chose me to do a reading because he was drawn to me online having found my website. He could have chosen any of the thousands of online mediums out there. Was he guided to choose me? I believe so. It was only when we were chatting about paranormal investigation at the end of the reading that it became apparent we both knew Rose. I told him how we met and asked him to pass my regards to her. Rose got in touch with me within a week and we became good friends again. It was like coming full circle for me, the final seal of approval from spirit, that I was on the right path for life now. I know it was meant to be that we met again, as she died shortly after, in early 2006, unexpectedly. She told me, soon after we met again, that I'd made her very proud by choosing this path, and that if she died tomorrow, she would die a happy woman, knowing she'd helped to set me on this path in some small way. Prophetic words. I never thought she'd leave so soon, but it was her time. She has been in touch since she crossed over, so I know she's fine, and she still has her great sense of humour. She made a camera start-up on its own on a paranormal investigation I was on in 2006, and when John and I reviewed the video footage days later, we heard very clearly her voice on tape, faintly saying, Rachel, it's me, just before the camera incident. I will never forget her or the comfort that she brought me after Simon died. In more recent times, I've made a few hindsight discoveries, which showed me I had the ability actually since birth, as we all do to varying degrees. I was talking to my mum quite a few years back about the street where we used to live when I was tiny. I asked her about Rebecca, the girl I remembered from a few doors down, who would play with me on the swing in our garden when I was three or four years old. My mum had no idea who I was talking about. But Rebecca is one of my most vivid early childhood friends. Memories of her were part of my childhood. How could my mum not know her? She was in our garden all summer with me. I knew she lived a few doors away on our street. I could pinpoint her house and we would giggle and laugh on the swing. I realised quickly that this was a spirit child because when I really thought about it, I couldn't remember ever seeing her arrive or leave. And she was there in the same lemon yellow dress each time. I love my weird and wonderful life. I owe it all to Simon. I now know he and I agreed a shared purpose before we decided to come to this life, and I will continue the good work for as long as I'm able. All of this has helped me become a stronger person. It's helped me become more capable of dealing with whatever life throws at me. I clearly wrote a life path full of physical challenges, just like Simon did, Um as we speak, I am waiting for a surgical procedure and there's challenges with that because no one wants to do the surgery because it's quite risky. But I'm OK with that. I'm OK with managing the pain. I have some chronic pain conditions that I've had for many years anyway. But all of this has given me the tools I need to be OK, to rise above and to know that whatever life brings I can get through it. So now you know a bit more about me and how I came to do what I do. And in episode two, we're going to be delving more into how the spiritual world works, as far as I know. I mean, this is all my take on how things work. Everyone may have slightly differing beliefs. But if this helps you in any way by listening to what I've learned over the last three decades, I just hope it's helpful to you. So until next time. Take care and more power to you.